If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. This morning we'll be in verses 8 and 9. That's on page 982. If you're using the Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you. Last week in Philippians 4 we talked about not being anxious. But taking everything to the Lord in prayer and that the peace of God would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's a wonderful lead into the sermon this week. Uh, one that we wouldn't be anxious about it, but also uh, knowing that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ. Because today's sermon is going to be really about what, what do we think about. It's going to be about our minds and then what that leads to in our lives. So let's read the passage before us. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, and then we'll pray and ask God to teach us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to help us as we learn from it. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time now where we can come and we can learn, we can receive, we can hear, we can see your word in Christ who has come has lived and died and been raised for us. And we pray that your spirit would teach us. Lord, we, we acknowledge that our minds are prone to wander. And so we ask, uh, even now, that you would help us to focus upon you. That we might see the, the gospel of Christ for us. And that we might uh, be uh, turned to worship and to praise you, and to love you because of all you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you thinking about right now? That could be a dangerous question, couldn't it? What's on your mind? It could be a number of things. It could be this week's grocery list. That's important. You've got to know what's coming. It could be the stats of your favorite football team. It could be the meeting you have at work tomorrow could be what someone said to you 12 years ago, or 12 minutes ago. Maybe it's even a Christmas list. I don't know how many shopping days there are left, but that might be starting to turn in your mind. The possibilities really are endless when we think of the answer to that question. Often we talk about the busyness of our culture, and we think about that from a perspective of activity. But when you think about it, the busyness of our minds with thoughts running to and fro likely even outpaces the activity we see on the outside. But like everything else these days, good news, there's an app for that. And recently I read about an app called Headspace. I don't know if any of you use this or have seen this. But what you can do, you can sign up for a time during the day just for a few minutes. You can listen to someone in a calm British voice telling you to stop breathe, to let your mind just kind of float. As nice as that sounds, think of 
what that can actually lead to, knowing ourselves, knowing our own sin, we know that to simply just kind of empty our minds is not really sometimes the best thing. Because there's a number of things in this world and in our own deceitful hearts that would gladly jump in and fill that empty space. And so when we look at the passage before us this morning, the Apostle Paul is showing us that what we ultimately need is not an emptying of our minds, but instead a filling of our minds with the things of Christ. Sinclair Ferguson talks about our minds being like a house or a room and And what are the things that we furnish our minds with? Because our minds ultimately do not belong to us. They belong to Christ. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was and to to really sum up all of life, He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the question before us today really is this. How do we love God with our mind? And how does that lead to loving God and our neighbor in our actions? You see, the root of our activities on the outside, it begins on the inside. It begins with our heart and our mind. This is what Jesus showed us in the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, for example, regarding murder, that it's not simply the physical act of murder that's liable to judgment. But it's the thoughts of anger in the heart and mind that precede murder that is also liable to judgment. So this morning, as we reflect on these two verses, there's going to be two points to this sermon. And the first is that here we have something that we must think about. So we ask the question, what what are we supposed to actually fill our minds with? What are we supposed to think about? Well, Paul says here in verse 8, Think about whatever, right? You might be thinking of the 90s teenager at this point, whatever, thinking about those things. But what what he actually does here is he attaches something to the whatevers that he shows specifically what we're to be thinking about. But Calvin, John Calvin says that in verse eight, Paul is instructing us to think about whatever shows us that this, this verse really encompasses all of life, that these things that we're to think about, relate to the whole of life, and that every area of our thought life is to be shaped by Christ. So if we look at this list here, the first one here, and we'll, we'll kind of highlight this one this morning, is this. Is Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, to think about these things. One commentator summed up this definition of truth here is moral qualities of uprightness and dependability as opposed to mere appearance. So what are the things that we can count on to be true? And how do we even define it? The esteemed theologian Billy Joel, he once said, "Uh, honesty is such a lonely word, everyone is so untrue. And it's hard to find truth these days when we look around us. But what are the things that are true? We constantly find ourselves let down in this world by things that may appear to be true or claim to be true, but then they don't stay true over time. Furthermore, kind of a side note here, when thinking about whatever is true, there are things that are factually true that you could think of that may not be the, the best application of this passage. 
Let's just say, for an example, you could cite and know facts about crime rates, and you can really think about those things, and that would you would know a lot about crime rates. That's probably not the best application of this passage. That's not necessarily what Paul is talking about here. But what are the things that are true? What we find in the Scriptures is that truth begins for us in a person whose name is Jesus. That you cannot know what is true without first looking to the one who is true. John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 5, 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Furthermore, He prays for us in John 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So in order to think about whatever is true, we must first turn to our Savior, to Jesus. We must turn to His Word that He has given us. And as we go on in this list in verse 8, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, all these things we must begin by looking at the person of Christ and His Word to us. Because He is the one who is true. He's the one who is honorable, is just, who is pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. We cannot begin to think about these things unless we look at him first. So we think on the person of Jesus, who he is, how he embodies the characteristics we see here in verse 8. And then we also dwell on his perspective, how he teaches us through his word and spirit how to discern And apply these characteristics in our own lives. When we think about these things, we also begin to take them into account as we put them into action. As we make decisions in our lives. As we fill our minds with the things of Christ, as we focus on His person and His perspective, we then look for things that reflect His glory. And we are then able to not only think in a way that glorifies Him. But then we're able to follow Him, and to make decisions, to pursue actions that reflect His character. As a practical example, maybe that grocery list we're thinking about might change as we reflect upon Christ and what He does for us. Because maybe a meal this week goes to a neighbor in need instead of just to us. Maybe the thought we had of anger toward a coworker. That may soften. And forgiveness may come because we think upon Christ and His forgiveness to us. Our desire to do what is just or right, as this passage calls us to, is not shaped by what we think or or just what we might think is right or just for us. But as we think upon Christ, it's shaped by seeking after God who is righteous. And who leads us to do what is right in his eyes rather than our own. And we can go through this list in verse 8 and consider several different ways our thoughts and actions can be changed by first dwelling upon Christ rather than starting with ourselves. And one of the reasons for this, and one of the reasons that Paul reminds us here to lift our thoughts to the things of Christ, is because of our own sin. 
that we are those who taint what is true with falsehood and deception. That we twist what's honorable and we elevate the dishonorable. We exchange the pursuit of righteousness for the contemplation of evil. Psalm 36.4 says this. It says, The wicked man, after sin has spoken to him deep in his heart, then eventually plots trouble while on his bed, setting himself in a way that is not good, that does not reject evil. We exchange the pure for the impure, the lovely for the unlovely. The, the list goes on and on. And Proverbs twenty eight twenty six kind of exposes our need here as it says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And this is why the Scriptures tell us plainly that just for us to have our own minds is not necessarily a good thing, but that we need a mind that is renewed by the grace of God through the work of Christ and the work of His Spirit. Ephesians 4, you can turn there if you'd like to. There's a few pages before this in Philippians. Ephesians 4, 17-24. It shows us the contrast of a mind that's captive by sin and a mind that's being renewed by Christ. He says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we come with the need to to have our minds renewed. And the good news is that Christ came and He didn't just come for our soul. He didn't just come for our our bodies which He'll raise up in the last day. But He also came for our minds because He came for our whole person to redeem us from our sins. And He is the one who is true and honorable and pure and righteous and lovely and worthy of praise. And He stood in our place and He gave Himself for us on the cross. The Bible tells us that we are united to Christ by faith. To the extent where Paul says earlier in Philippians 2, he says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who went to the cross, who died for you, who was raised up and is highly exalted, whose name is above every name. Colossians 3 says, if you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. 
Friends, as those who have trusted in Christ, we have, the scriptures say, the mind of Christ. We're united to Him by faith. We're being renewed by the Spirit. So we're to turn our thoughts to Christ. And then see those thoughts begin to transform into action in our lives. That's the progression of this passage. And from verse 8, it moves from our thoughts to verse 9 to action. And so our second point is this. We've been given something to think about, or really technically someone to think about in Jesus. And now we're going to be given something to do here in verse 9. Paul doesn't leave us in some place where we're just kind of sitting beside a lake somewhere thinking and reflecting. As nice as that may be and as needful as that is. He says it's time to get up. It's time to put these thoughts to action. Verse 9 says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As Paul follows Jesus, he tells the Philippians now to, to follow him. They set an example in his teaching and his living there to follow as they apply the gospel to everyday life. This connection of our minds and actions is talked about several places in the Bible. 1 Peter 1 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. A mind that's set on Christ begins to not only think on what is true, lovely, pure, and righteous, but by the work of God's Spirit, begins to do what is true, what is pure, what is righteous, what is lovely, what is excellent. The heart and the head and the hands of the believer operate together under the power of the Spirit to apply the gospel to every area of life. As we do so, we're reminded by Paul here, it's not something we do alone, but it's something we do together as the body of Christ. This morning, think about this question. Who is someone that you emulate? Who is someone that you look up to in the body of Christ? Who you go to for wisdom? Teenagers? Children? Who are the adults who've walked with Christ for a long time? Who are those that you would go to and ask a question? And maybe seek their advice on something. The verbs in this passage here are for us. We must learn. that We must receive. We must hear. We must see the gospel in action in the lives of others. So who are you learning? Who are you receiving? Who are you hearing and seeing from? I have a lot of spiritual heroes I look up to. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking, thinking about them. And one of them, he lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and he's retired. And I forgot how old he is because I think he's just stayed the same age for a long time. He's one of those. But for the past 25 or more years, do you want to know what he does once a week? He gets up, I don't know, six something in the morning. And at 6.30 a.m., he's at Panera Bread on the uh, Hendersonville Road there in Asheville. And he's there meeting with high school guys to pray with them and do Bible study. 25 years, one hour a week, that's a lot of bagels and coffee. 
But that's also a lot of spiritual impact, isn't it? Think of how many students have gone there and been a part of that. Think of the other ways that that time might could be spent. But that sort of investment, um, that's one of my spiritual heroes as he's discipled and taking that time to spend time with young people. And the example he has set is, hey, let's all follow Christ together. What Paul says here, learning, receiving, hearing, seeing the gospel applied and lived out by those who have set their mind upon Christ and the things above. Or on the flip side of it, teaching, giving, speaking, visibly applying the gospel to teach others who are younger in the faith. Where might God be calling you to practice these things? Is it in your neighborhood, in your workplace? Is it here in the church teaching and discipling our covenant children? How do we apply this in our homes? God has brought us together as a family of God to help one another to put into practice the things that come from minds being set upon Christ. As this passage ends, we have a wonderful promise here that not only does he give us one another, he promises his own presence. The God of peace will be with you. Think about that in the context of what we've learned from chapter 4 already. There had been some conflict brewing in the church. Paul had called them to remember their unity. As we talked about last week, there had been anxiety. And Paul had called them to prayer. Now he calls them here in verses 8 and 9 to to replace those thoughts of anxiety as we seek the Lord in prayer. To replace those thoughts with thoughts of Christ. And to know that we have the peace of God that he gives to us, as it says earlier in verse 7. But now we also have the God of peace who is with us. He does not leave us to ourselves. He is with us. He calls us to rest in the peace that he gives and is. We've talked about this before, I think, in a previous sermon, but it bears mentioning again. That the phrase God of peace implies that there has been a war. And God accomplishes peace by declaring war on that which is evil on behalf of his people. Romans 16.20 says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. And today as we come to this table, we come with the peace of God that it talks about in verse 7, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Knowing that it was Christ's death upon the cross that dealt that crushing blow to evil. That his resurrection brought victory over death. That the God of peace has triumphed over sin and death and hell and evil. As we come to this table, we declare that. And we remember what Christ has done for us. That he has reconciled sinners to God. That we have a relationship with God through him. That in his death on the cross, in his resurrection, we are united to him by faith. And so we come to the table this morning to remember all that he has done for us. Yet even as we remember, we also come looking ahead. We're looking forward to what Romans 16.20 talks about. 
to that final crushing of Satan. And we anticipate the feast that the book of Revelation talks about. The feast that lies ahead. Where we will be in the presence of the God of peace forever. Together, communing with Him. And we look forward to that great day. Friends, let's think about these things as we come to the table and as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Please pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us today. We, we acknowledge that our minds are prone to all sorts of wandering and aimlessness and sin. And so we, we claim today the finished work of Christ on our behalf and the ongoing work of the Spirit to renew our minds, um, to turn our thoughts toward Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. So we pray that you would help us We pray that you would make us those uh, who um, live and think uh, as those who belong to Christ. Uh, That the the mind of Christ our Savior would live in us from day to day and control all that we do and say. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.